Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, women's empowerment coach and motivational speaker, Megan Hall. And on this podcast, I'm going to connect you with inspirational women who will share their real stories. And we're going to chat about topics relevant to women today. I'd love to continue to support you on your life's journey. Please join us in the Inspired Women community on Facebook. Thank you for tuning in today and enjoy the show. Hey guys, today I'm here with Josephine. Josephine Bean grew up in a small town called, can you tell me how that's pronounced? (laughs) (laughs) Ninana, Alaska. Ninana. Okay, that's how I was going to say it, but I didn't want to say it wrong. I should have asked that before I started recording. So, all right, everybody knows my my secrets now. That's great. Uh, So Ninana is approximately 50 miles from Alaska's second biggest city, Fairbanks, which I think is a city that a lot of people have heard about in, in Alaska. Um, Fairbanks, and there's one other that I know that's pretty big that people think about a lot. Um, her parents raised her along with her three older siblings, where they attended K through 12 school, which had about a hundred students throughout the school on a good year. Wow, I thought I came from a small school. I mean, I graduated with 75 people, so I was like, <laughs> and I tell people that, and they're like, oh my gosh, it's such a small school, but we definitely had more than a hundred kids in there, so. That's- <laughs> Uh, her hometown has less than 400 people. It's the kind of place where everyone knows everyone, which can be a good or bad thing. I'm from one of those places too, you know, where you're like, I miss that because I live in a city now. And I, I, you know, you walk in the store and you don't know anybody. I miss like going into the store and be like, oh, hey, Janet, how are you? How are your kids? <laughs> But I don't miss the aspect where people know my like personal private. Definitely. <laughs> Josephine now lives in North Pole, 11 miles north of Fairbanks, where she is a full-time student at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. She recently accepted a full-time position in one of the student support offices on campus. She plans on graduating in May with an interdisciplinary degree. I graduate in May too, but then I have to go and pursue even more schooling. So. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm trying to go for my PhD in psychology. <laughs> And I'll only be graduating my associates in May. So I have a lot of work to go. <laughs> so after graduation, Josephine will continue on her with her work on campus until um, she and her fiance move in the fall of 2020. Where are you guys moving? Do you know? Not yet. Um, so he's Air Force. Um, and we won't know for probably a while. Okay. I understand that. My husband's yeah. Navy. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so did you meet him where you guys, I mean, where you live is he was stationed there and that's how you met him? Yeah, so he's stationed at Allison Air Force Base. That's like probably five minutes from North Pole. Um, and we actually met at the North Pole Safeway ice cream aisle. So Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. We actually get a lot of military spouses on the podcast because yeah. I am one, so I kind of attract that crowd. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't even know this part of your story, which is really, really interesting. So you, um, the reason that you're on the podcast, and I had posted in the Inspired Women community asking if there was anyone who was brought up in the Native American culture would like to come on and share a little bit about what it was like growing up for them. So you want to kick it off and tell us what it was like growing up for you? Sure. So as you said previously, I grew up in Inanna, which is primarily a Alaska Native Athabascan community. Um, and there are 11 different dialects in the Athabascan group in Alaska. So I'm Koyukon Athabascan. Um, that can be kind of found in the western side of Alaska. Um, and as I grew up, I didn't really realize I was growing up in a, like a Alaska Native culture just because it was my everyday life. Um, so most of our traditions were like telling stories or singing and dancing. We had a lot of verbal 
types of traditions handed down, um, like storytelling and singing. And we also did dancing and that was another form of storytelling that just kind of went over history of how we were made or um, how our ancestors affected our lives. Um, and one way that I realized that I, our culture was different, I went to school in Seattle for a couple of years um, after I graduated high school and I realized that I was pretty diverse um, because I was thrown into the Seattle lifestyle and there was a lot of different cultures going on there and it was a lot of self-reflection, I would say, um, going into Seattle and realizing that I did come from such a rich background and I was so lucky and grateful to have that culture. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, did, does your culture have a specific language of their own? Yeah, so they speak Athabascan, um, and I don't know the language too well. Um, so my mom grew up in a small Native community um, in rural Alaska, but her parents passed away when she was pretty young, so she, was, she moved to Fairbanks by the age of 10, and she kind of lost the language um, when she moved to the city. So. Oh. Okay, so <laughs> you have some elders in your community that you've heard speak this language? Yeah, definitely. Um, so sadly, most of them are passing on. They are pretty old, um, but there are quite a few elders throughout the state that can speak their native language, which is great. And they're trying to preserve that. The University of Alaska school system is working hard to preserve all of the cultures um, and the languages they speak, which is really great. Um, but it's kind of hard to be self-taught the language, just because a lot of the pronunciations are pretty difficult. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and I know in my U.S. history class we were talking about right now is um, how a lot of Native American cultures have lost that language and that culture that they had because, like you said, the elders are passing on and maybe at the time they weren't capable of preserving that and preserving the customs, so they got lost along the way because you know, anybody who has taken a U.S. history course should be aware. Or maybe they weren't because I wasn't until I took a college U.S. history course because my <laughs> mind growing up was kind of like this filtered pretty version, um, is that the United States was kind of forcing um, Native American cultures to adapt and adopt um, the, the U.S. culture, right? And mm -hmm. um, kind of putting a squash down on Native Americans being able to preserve their culture and actually do the things that they that they do as a culture. Um, and this was like in the 1800s, they had certain laws and certain things that were kind of, you know, preventing this from happening. So along the way, some Native American cultures have completely lost that. Like they don't have anything. Um, I grew up um, in upstate New York and we had a couple of different Native American cultures up there that we learned about growing up. And there was, a, there was actually a reservation near there. So I don't know how much maybe you know about reservations or how that works. A lot of people hear that and, and they have no idea what that means. Yeah, so Alaska doesn't have any reservations um, within our state, so I don't know too much about them. Uh, but kind of going off what you are saying prior to that with um, in the early 1800s with the cultures being kind of smushed down, that still affects um, Alaska today actually. Recently, a native community, um, I believe they were like in Nupiat, um, when the Catholic churches came into their community, they weren't able to practice singing or dancing um, because it was seen as 
not really like a demonic thing, but it was frowned upon because they were not worshiping God how they should. Um, and just until like probably a few years ago, they, the church okayed them to start singing and dancing again. So it's kind of, those effects are still relevant today. Um, and probably in the ni- 1950s or a little bit before that, um, towns were being, I guess, westernized is a way to say put it. Um, and they were making students speak English instead of their native languages. And they were sending them to boarding schools. And some of those boarding schools weren't even in Alaska. So a lot of families were split up. And there were a few instances where Alaska Native children were actually adopted out of those boarding schools, which is really sad. Um, wow. So they didn't even get to come home. So you're talking um, about like their parents didn't give permission for them to be adopted. They were just yeah. adopted out. Yeah. Um, and that happened probably not a lot, but quite a few families were torn apart. Um, and some students didn't even come back home after going to those boarding schools in the lower 48, as we call Maine, America. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, Alaska has a a history too with being like assimilated into the United States. You know, the yeah. same with Hawaii that there is like this this people may not know this because maybe like me they were brought up in this pretty history, but um, is that there's some there's some controversy over that. Um, you know how Hawaii and Alaska weren't necessarily like yes, please adopt us into your country. Appreciate. Yeah. so i mean i feel like when you go those places even though um hawaii has obviously been very much westernized um that but alaska you go there and it's a completely different um it's completely different culture that you're going into um i know i have friends who you know their spouses have been stationed in alaska and they're like it's it's like going to a different world almost uh, because you guys are, are way up there that you're able to like maintain at least some of that. Yeah, definitely. Um, and we are, most of the traditions are being brought back. Um, even at the university of Alaska Fairbanks, there's a lot of Alaska native clubs that students can join where they do practice singing and dancing and they put on performances. And in March, there's like a week of Alaska native history recognition. Um, and so they perform and, everyone from everywhere, even in Canada, we get some native groups that come to dance and sing and get together. It's kind of fun. I love that. That's, that is amazing. And I used to really enjoy when I was a child being able to go see some of the singing and dancing from the Native American cultures where I'm from and being able to enjoy that. But, you know, it's some of it, like you said, it's, I mean, it's been a while and, and at times there was churches who try to switch that down so some of it got lost along the way now is there anything particular that you remember growing up that was quite different from what you experienced when you went to seattle like maybe anything you ate or anything you did um that was completely different than what you saw sure so food wise um i'm not sure if you know but alaska has a lot of moose um which is what one of the main sources of meat for my community and we don't waste any part of the animal Um, and something that was normal for me growing up was eating moose head soup where they just utilized all the meat like the tongue and brain and whatnot and eyes and stuff um, and made a soup out of it and that was completely normal for me yeah Um, and then when I went to Seattle I was telling some people about the different foods that we ate and they were absolutely appalled and disgusted and I was like hey now like this is how I grew up Um, right and there's a lot of like fermented fish that people will make 
um, like along the coastal villages where they just like bury fish in the ground. And I think they add some kind of some other things to the fish and that ferments it. And it's called stinkhead fish and they eat it. And that's normal for some of my friends. But to me, I'm like, oh gosh, no, thank you. Like I'll pass on that. (laughs) (laughs) And then they're like, you said soup. That's pretty gross too. Yeah, you see that in the lower 48 where you go to like maybe the south has certain things like pig's feet where you wouldn't see yeah. that where I'm from. <laughs> but we have like venison up there and they, you know, I had a lot of venison when I was growing up. Uh, so, and I come down here to Virginia and I'm, and people are like, venison what? And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> that was like a huge staple where I'm from because it's the low poverty level. So during hunting season, everybody would go hunting um, cause it would help supplement the food for their family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, go ahead. Oh no. <laughs> you were, um, I was actually reading an article about how a lot of native cultures in Alaska, um, would hunt for seals, but they would use the, all of the seal, not just like, you know, the parts that people like to use to make money off of. Um, but then there was laws that were being passed to prevent that from happening because there was a lot of people that would go up there and, you know, kill the seals, but only use their skin. Uh, I didn't know if that was something that affected your culture or not. Yeah, definitely. Um, so sadly, there are a lot of um, what's called trophy hunters in Alaska, where um, in my region specifically, they'll hunt the biggest moose they can find just for the antlers, and they'll let the meat go to waste, which is pretty sad. There's a few cases this past hunting season where that happened. Um, they weren't even trying to be discreet about it. They just dumped the moose body in like a, at a transfer site. And it's like, um, there's a lot of like homeless shelters or places you can donate the meat. So that's kind of sad. Yeah. Um, same with like the caribou or anything that you can have as a trophy from an animal that's seen regularly throughout Alaska. So they have pretty strict hunting regulations now where you have to like provide proof that you've harvested the animal and um, stuff like that. So. That is there are actions being taken. Yeah. Huh. That does. It makes me sad. I see the same thing where um, people will do the same thing for deer just to get their antlers. But I was taught growing up that, I mean, we didn't use all of the deer, but we used a lot of it. Yeah. Like, you know, almost <laughs> all of the deer, uh, you know, even like the, the hide and stuff like that growing up that we were taught my my sister and I were taught growing up that you don't you don't let just leave a, a deer there to waste like you you mm-hmm. like this is this is food it's not just something that you go out and you kill a deer and that's for fun uh yeah. so, so I understand where you're coming from with that mm-hmm. yeah that's 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 fantastic so what are some of the do you guys have any kind kind of um native garb that your elders wear or that when you're doing the dances and stuff that you wear yeah, definitely. Um, so the men and women, what they wear is usually different. So men will just wear like tanned moose hide vests with beadwork on it. And it's very beautiful. And sometimes they add moose fur or wolverine fur, any kind of animal fur to it just to make it that more special. Um, and the chiefs you will usually wear a hide jacket that has a lot more detail and time put into it. Um, and the women now don't dress up as much as the men. Um, though they do may sometimes have like moose hide dresses or um, they'll wear like headband, moose hide headbands with beadwork. Um, and it really varies from culture to culture. So that's for the Athabascans. For the coastal villages, they um, wear what's called a cuspuck, which is just material um, made. It kind of looks like a jacket. 
and that's pretty and they usually hold something in their hands when they're dancing and it's usually um i think it's maybe whalebone or something and they decorate it with bird feathers and beadwork as well so that it really beautiful varies. Yeah. That just sounds beautiful. <laughs> you know, it just sounds, it, it, it sounds so much because I go to the store and I purchase my clothes, but then you think about all this, like all the detail and everything that goes into, um, you know, the clothing that they're wearing while they're dancing. That just sounds gorgeous. I, it, it really does. So when you were growing up, you grew up in a really small town. It were, was everybody um, Albaskan or was it a variety? Yeah. So in my specific town, um, for the most part, it was dominantly white, um, but there were a lot of Alaska Native um, Athabascans there. Um, and my town actually has a boarding school, so um, students from all over Alaska can come and attend the school there. So we, our school is pretty unique because we had a large variety of the different cultures within Alaska, which was a lot of fun to see and grow up with because it definitely made you appreciate how unique Alaska could be. Um, just because Alaska is so small, but there's a lot of different stories and a lot of different cultures within it um, that makes up Alaska. Yeah, I think the, and I just realized I said Alabaskan, not Athabaskan, so I apologize for that. <laughs> uh, I, uh, thinking about that and how you're explaining how the Athabaskan culture is like this, but then the coastal cultural or coastal cultures like that, and like you said Alaska isn't that big, but that's pretty amazing that there was such a wide variety um, in Alaska that there is, not was, there is. I'm sure there was more, you know, back 100 years ago, but, you know, as we, as we said with the history, it, it kind of, a lot of it got smushed down. So yeah. are, is the white population, is that, that people that immigrated there? Yeah, so a lot of people um, come up for work for drillers and welders or whatnot there's a lot of jobs offered just because we do have the north slope which is where our all of our oil comes from um, and a lot of people go there or they may just come to alaska for different experiences my dad's actually from michigan and when he was in his 30s he wanted to go on an adventure and he came to alaska with his um with his wife who he yeah with his wife um and they they were only going to come for the summer and then they ended up staying and they're both still here. So I think that's ever a lot of people's story. Um, some of my fiance's friends um, are in the military and they're going to get out and they're going to stay in Alaska just because it kind of keeps you, it draws people back, which is really interesting. And I think it's because it's so unique and everyone's more welcoming than most states, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> or, or different parts of states, right? Yeah. I've, uh, where I'm from is a very small community, so it's a little more welcoming. But then here in this huge city, I mean, I live in a place where there's literally seven cities all, it's called Hampton Roads, like all around. So it's like right near Virginia Beach. Huge. It's huge. I had culture shock growing here, uh, and like coming here because I grew up on 50 acres of land I was used to like yeah. small town and then I come here and I'm like, holy crap, it's not as welcoming because, you know, it's a huge city. So people don't often see each other again. So it's just like, go, yeah. go, go. And people aren't like, hi, how are you today? It's like, just, they're just doing whatever they have to do. Yeah. So it's a little less welcoming. And I heard Alaska is beautiful. 
It's so beautiful. We're actually getting our first snow right now and the snowflakes are so big and fluffy. It's great. Um, but then, you know, it's going to get really cold soon. Uh, but yeah. the summers are like absolutely gorgeous. Um, and I think that's why most people stay is because they are, are so pretty. Um, everywhere in the state has wonderful summers, it seems like. so. Now, the, now there's something about Alaska where it is dark for like a whole, for almost a whole day at some point in time. Is that true? In some parts of Alaska, it is true. Um, in northern Alaska, I believe sometime in September or November, the sun sets and it doesn't rise again until around January. Um, and I couldn't do that. Um, but in the Fairbanks area, we'll get like maybe four hours of sunlight. Um, and then it's just pretty dark consistently until probably March. Okay. So it starts like around this time, it, it, you only get like a couple hours of sunlight a day and then around March you'll start to get more. Yeah. And then during the summers, we're called the land of the midnight sun because the sun never sets. And that's so true. Um, it's kind of, it, it's hard to adjust. When I came back from Seattle, I realized that that's kind of weird that the sun's always up, but it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, it can make it hard to sleep, too. You better have some blackout curtains. Yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to think about the culture back, you know, way back, how they had to adapt to that. That's that's kind of fascinating. That'd be something that I would definitely want to know more about, you know, and look into is, like, how did how did the culture adapt to that, like, major having so much sun? Like, you know, how were they able to sleep? Yeah, because <laughs> you know there are like one percent of the the one percent of the population in the world can actually function on less than eight hours of sleep. So maybe they were the one percent. Yeah, possibly. I know I'm not. So. <laughs> <laughs> not the same way. I need my eight hours. You know, because yeah. it takes me you know a couple minutes to fall asleep, but I need that eight hours or else I am cranky. I'm yep. just a cranky person. <laughs> I don't function at all. So I'm, I'm loving that you're you brought up in, in this culture and it, was it because that your this was your mom's culture that you were brought up in it? Did she encourage that? Yeah. So my, so when my mom and dad married, they got married in Fairbanks. Um, then they had my older brother and then I was born and they were realizing that Fairbanks was kind of growing too quickly. Um, cause at the time it was relatively small and, you know, growing quickly to us is like 10,000 people probably. Right. <laughs> um, and then they heard of, there was like a nice house in Indiana, which is an hour south of Fairbanks. They went and checked it out and liked the community. Um, and it just so happened that it was an Athabascan community as well. Um, but yeah, my mom would encourage us to take part in the singing and dancing, um, as well as the different storytelling. When we had a culture week in our school where we would learn about the different cultures in Alaska and practice um, the different arts that they did. And that was a lot of fun. Um, and then when someone passes in our community, we have what's called a potlatch where we celebrate the person by we get together and we have like a large dinner um, and everyone brings food. Um, and then at the end of the night, we do singing and dancing and we have, we just like take part in different games that were a traditional game for the Athabascan people. So I think that's pretty special as well. That is pretty special. That sounds really cool. Cause I always said, I don't want to have a funeral. I want to have like a celebration of life. Like, you know, mm -hmm. funerals are so, so depressing. You go there and you're like looking at this dead body and everybody's like, <laughs> oh, I miss this person so much. But then if, you know, I think of like a celebration of life as like, 
like kind of like what you're describing is, you know, people get together and they're eating and they're chatting and maybe sharing really, you know, really awesome stories about the person that's passed on, but you're celebrating their life instead of being like depressed. Yeah, definitely. It you definitely know, makes it a lot easier. Yeah. And it, it, it would, it would actually be fun to hear like the different things people are saying and, you know, experience those, those things that are so close to your culture. And I love the fact that your parents move there and, and you're able to experience that because that's a unique experience that not everybody gets to have. I mean, somebody like me, I'm what I call myself a mutt. I do not have like any, <laughs> any culture per se, you know, that, that came from my, um, my relatives. I'm, mm. I'm part French Canadian, which who knows where, how they came to Canada. <laughs> and then like, you know, I, I have a little Italian and I have like a little French and German. I have like all the things. Yeah. And, but none of, none of that, like my family didn't have this, you know, this culture that got passed down from generation to generation. It's, I'm like, I have to build my own, which is fun. But I mean, that would be kind of cool to be able to experience the, the different things, you know, mm. along the way. And I love that your school focuses on the different cultures of, you know, what, in Alaska. Like, that's, that's even cooler. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh, I, I, I love that. That's so great. Now, did you grow up with any, like, negative, like, connotation when it came to the United States and how they treated Native Americans or anything like that? Not really. Um, as you said, we kind of had a pretty picture of what the history was, and it wasn't until um, I grew older, probably my senior year of high school or even until recently, that I realized how horrible um, the treatment was for Alaska Natives or American Native or Indians. Um, it's pretty sad to see how much culture was lost and how displaced people were um, when Alaska was being westernized. Um, it's kind of heartbreaking. Um, and it's definitely, it makes it a lot harder just because people are accepting that it's okay that our stories aren't being told. Um, like within our community, some of the elders are like, that's just how life is. Like we have to move forward, which is true, but it's also like we need to step up and say something like let them know that this is no okay and our voices need to be heard. Um, especially when it comes to politics. Uh, yeah. I don't really like talking about politics, but they want to do like offshore drilling in Northern Alaska because there's a big oil reserve and a lot of the native cultures out there, like, well, what's that going to do for like seal hunting or getting, whales or even offshore fishing like that's going to damage the environment um and that's kind of the impression side which is really heartbreaking to see um because that means more culture will be lost and more people will probably have to move because they won't have access yeah. to resources for food or whatnot yeah i think a lot of things people don't realize is this is actually a way of life for these people is that, you know, that's what generations upon generations, and they're like, oh, they can just go to the store and get food. No, that's their culture. That's how they were brought up. And now you're going to take that away from them because you want more oil. Yeah. It's, and they can go to this, like some, most communities do have a general store, but <laughs> there's one of my friends lives um, in Northern Alaska and their general store, it's about $15 for a gallon of milk. So they're like, no, like that's not okay. Like this, right. Like, What's being taught as history, I think, um, is still relevant to Alaska Natives because that is our lifestyle and that's how we um, live and get food and provide for our families. Like hunting and fishing isn't just like uh, 
thing we do for fun. It's a subsistence lifestyle. Right. Um, and that's still something, you know, that everyone does. No, it's, it's really true. And I think a lot of people overlook that. I mean, cause they see right here in the continental U S that a lot of, a lot of the native American cultures have had to become Westernized because they, there wasn't much of a choice right there. I mean, cause they weren't giving a, an option uh, to not be. So a lot of that, that you're talking about where, you know, they, they subsist, they subsisted. I can't say it anyways. <laughs> Everybody knows what I'm trying to say on these certain things. They were, you know, given the opportunity because those things were taken away from them. But in Alaska, it's a little further up there. So I think, I think it took a little bit longer for people, for, you know, people to get up there and try to Westernize Alaska. So now you guys are dealing with what native people here in the continental U S were dealing with, you know, maybe like 50 to hundred years ago. Yeah. And so now you're seeing where they're trying to do things that are going to take away those, those things that that's part of the culture. That is something that it, it, it is, it's a way of life. It is not just this option. And you, I have friends who live in Alaska and they will tell you how freaking expensive it is for anything really. I mean, and that's like living in the, the more city type like Fairbanks and, and things like that, that it's really expensive there. But then like you said, now, now you go even further North where there it's, it's colder. There's not a lot to choose from and even harder to get to. So now the prices are going to be even higher. Yep. That's hard because some of the families are stuck there because they don't have jobs that will help them move easily or they can't really afford to leave, um, but they can't afford to stay. So like subsistence hunting is how they get by. Um, so it's kind of hard just to say, well, they should leave because, you know, they can't really leave. And it's like any family, really, it's kind of hard to uproot yourself from your culture and move to somewhere more, um, I don't know, easier to live or where you have more access to re- different resources. And that's their their home. That's where yeah. they've been brought up. Like we're talking, uh, we're, uh, we're going, we're talking about culture here. That's, that's their culture. That's where their generations upon gender. I'm sure even they have, you know, they're dead. You know, their relatives are yeah. buried and uh, up there. And now you're expecting that they're just going to leave because somebody wants oil. I mean, I, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'll get very frustrated about that. I do because I think people's people in America, their minds can be so closed because it's all about what's, what's easiest for us. What's going to make us the most money. What's going to be the most convenient for us even if it's inconvenient for other people. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely frustrating at times. I mean, I think that I said this before we got on the podcast. I think that the native culture is something that has been overlooked by a lot of people, like especially in the today's world where we're talking about racism and black versus white and I, I'm constantly asking people, like, where, where, do, where do the natives fit in here? Like, where, where's this conversation? Because if anything, we all screwed them over. Like, everybody, <laughs> everybody, everybody, all the cultures, because, you know, uh, people get in the fight about, like, immigration and, like, shut down the borders, all this stuff. I'm like, we don't even own this place. <laughs> We're all immigrants here, all yeah. of us. <laughs> yeah. 
but people completely completely bypass that right they think oh i've been here generations upon generations but now we're talking about cultures that have been there centuries you know uh can can trace their lineage back a thousand years where you know i can't certainly um but you people like the elders in your community these that's where these stories came from that you guys are learning yeah and they've been passed on for generations upon generations and i really is the the university of alaska also working on actually uh putting down these stories of these different cultures that are being passed word of mouth yeah definitely so they have um they either have someone who can translate the language or they bring an elder in who can speak english and they i believe are recording the stories that they're told or even just the way they lived or the way their parents lived because um, i think it is something that is overlooked that the traditional lifestyle was only one or two generations ago before everything became more civilized and our Alaska became more on the grid, so to speak. Yeah. And I think that's, that's one thing that I didn't really realize growing up. It was definitely um, kind of an eye opener to realize that my parent, my mom's parents, my grandparents did live a very traditional life out in a village that you could only get to by boat or snow machine or even a dog team. Um, and I think that's, that's crazy because now there's like bush planes that'll fly to the rural villages um, and you don't have to rely on the water systems or a dog team. So, Which is nice, but also not nice in the same way because it gives people more access to those communities. And yeah. I think that's why those communities are losing that, you know, just having that culture because now there's more access to them. And now people are going to try to westernize them because shouldn't everybody be the same? And I don't think so, but <laughs> and, and <laughs> there's, oh, go ahead. Oh no! Yeah, sorry. <laughs> there's just—I was just going to say there's a lot of people who believe that we should all be the same. Yeah, and one of my friends, one of my best friends, actually, uh, she grew up in a village called Tanana, which is somewhere to Nina. Um, and they're off of a river system. And recently, they just built built a roadway to Tanana from Fairbanks, I believe. Um, and they hate it because yeah. at first they're like, this is a great opportunity. We don't have to rely on planes or the river now, but then they're also like, well, what kind of people is this gonna attract? Like, we don't want our community to be open to anyone um, just because it is the end of the road, you know? Yeah. Uh, and so that expansion I think is making people nervous. One of the elders that I grew up with, she would talk about how nice it was to be secluded from everything um, just because he did have that strong sense of community and family values are, one of the biggest things that's instilled into um, young children growing up, like the, these are your people, you have to look after them. Um, and I think opening that up to other communities will kind of lose that sense of family and community, which is kind of really heartbreaking. I couldn't agree more. And I'm taking, like I said earlier, I'm taking psychology. And right now we're talking, I'm taking child psychology and we're talking about the need for a community for child development, how important that is for children growing up, that when you have a community, you have these people who it's not just the parents that are, you know, in charge of raising and taking care of the children, but you have all these other elders that are helping you raise the children. The children are actually more well adjusted because they're never, they're never missing out. They're never losing out because it's a, it's a whole community effort to make sure that these children are brought up right and taken care of versus 
you know, where I live today, my neighbors don't help me take care of my kids. It's, it's on me to do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, there's that saying, it takes a village to raise a child. And that's so true in Alaska. And I think that's something that when I went to Seattle that I realized is that there isn't that big sense of community. Like you have to establish it yourself, which is fine, but um, it's not already there. And that kind of, it's not an uneasy feeling, but it's definitely not as welcoming as um, going to a village and people opening up and accepting you. Right. Where you go to a village and you're just like, hey, this is where I'm from. And they're like, welcome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Welcome. Where, like you said, you have, like, my, my spouse is in the military and, you know, moving, I'm getting ready to move up to Connecticut next year. And I'm nervous because, like, I'm now I have to establish and kind of build my tribe up there yeah. um, versus where you're saying you could, you could go over to maybe your friend's village and they'd be more welcoming of you. Yeah. And that's interesting because um, when we were taught to introduce ourselves to different community communities or um, different people in Alaska, we would say who we are and who our parents were and who our grandparents were and where they were from. And that just kind of established a connection because everyone knows everyone or everyone knows someone from a different village. Um, and so that, like a sense of trust is kind of built when you introduce yourself that way. So. I like that. That's mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. Cause like you said, I mean, Alaska's not very big. And if you're talking to other native cultures in Alaska, they would kind of know because before the white people came and like took over the place, that's what you had is that interaction amongst villages for different, different things. Yeah. So now right, you generations of, of trust that you have going on, which is a really cool experience. I'm sure it was quite the culture shock for you moving to Seattle. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> who are you guys? How do I fit in? <laughs> yeah, it's such a big place, right? Seattle, yeah. Seattle's a big city. So now it's like, oh, oh, hello. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure compared to Fairbanks, it's like, a bazillion times bigger it's great and like I was I'm thankful because I definitely spent a lot of time in Washington because um, my dad had family there so we'd visit them pretty often but I thought I'd love living in Seattle and while it was really nice it was definitely like I do miss that small town feeling or just like knowing who my people are and where I'm from and having those connections with people around me is really something special yeah, I miss that too. Honestly, when I go up to visit my sister, because she still lives in upstate New York, and I go into the store and I see people I went to high school with mm -hmm. or their parents, or that I actually really miss that being able to just go into like the grocery store and, and know people. Versus yeah. Here, I hardly ever go into the grocery store and know anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so, as we wrap up the podcast, Josephine, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you would like to? let people know or um, any misunderstandings that people might have that you want to clear up? Anything you can think of that you'd like to share? Not really. I think as any minority group, keep in mind that the stereotypes aren't accurate or they aren't a good um, way to describe it because a lot of like the main stereotype that Alaska Natives get is that we have a big alcohol problem. And while that's true, it's definitely not relevant anymore just because there is a drive and our communities are pushing the younger generations to go to school or to pursue a life um, that'll be more beneficial. Um, and yeah, that's about it. Was the alcohol problem a problem before Alaska started getting westernized? No, so alcohol was actually introduced by 
um, people who came to Alaska and they used it as a trading tool um, to get like beadwork or native artwork um, and they'd give out the whole art tobacco primarily. Yeah, I find that in a lot of native cultures that I've heard about is there was not like a alcohol or drug problem before the white people brought it to them yeah. and started yeah. using it as a way. And actually in my history book, we were talking about how at times it was used as a way to kind of like keep the natives under their thumb because mm -hmm. it was a way of controlling them because we all know alcohol and drugs um, and tobacco can also be very um, addictive. So once you have people addicted to these things, and you're their only source that's a way of control yeah yeah definitely that's can be seen especially in the um, like southern cultures like the Clinket and Haida um, cultures down in southeast Alaska that they were one of the main groups that were highly affected by alcohol and tobacco just because they were the first people um, that white people ran into when they came to Alaska um, so it's very heartbreaking to see but it's good to, um, to know though that our cultures are or people are becoming more than that and they're kind of losing that stereotype thankfully yes and i it's sad that they have that stereotype because i feel like um that white people are just as addicted to alcohol and drugs and tobacco so i don't know why people are picking on the natives about that because i'm like um <laughs> i don't know i've never I, the only people i know that are alcoholics or you know drug addicts they're all white <laughs> like, yeah <laughs> i've never met any native people where i was growing up that were were addicted like that but they you know the reservation where i was from was always got the reputation that was a, a drug den and there was drugs going in and out of it and i think that's just like a small very small portion like any other stereotype of the population that people are stereotyping an entire population by yeah but i'm happy to hear that there is some reform going on to help you know the younger generations not fall into that addiction trap because alcohol and drugs and tobacco can be very addicting yeah, definitely. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation, Josephine, and learning more about your culture and, you know, how you have such a variety up there in Alaska. And even though I really don't like the cold, maybe I need to come up and visit it. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> like where I'm from, I, I mean, it's pretty cold. I mean, it's near Canada, but you're, you're a little further up there than I am. But I have heard it was really beautiful. And my husband's always said, I want to go visit Alaska. And I'm like, okay. Let me get prepared for this. <laughs> yeah. for the, but I would love to come up and, and definitely learn more about the different cultures and everything like that. Because I, I, I feel like in the continental U.S., too much of that has been washed away. Like there's, there's not as much of those cultures still hanging on. So it's really hard to go and experience that sort of thing. And I feel like maybe Alaska's our, our last solace for that, where you can actually witness these cultures. Because, I mean... Like I said, it, it's a good like 50 or 100 years behind when it comes to yeah. white people taking over than the continental U.S. Yeah, definitely. There's definitely a lot of um, cultural museums or cultural tours you can go on within the Fairbanks area as well as in Denali National Park. They do a really good job of talking about the Athabascan cultures um, that are found. So. Yeah, see, now everybody needs to go to Alaska and, <laughs> and visit and see how pretty it is, the big fat snowflakes. Maybe yes. not northern Alaska, you know, during those months that there's no sunshine. 
I don't think I would manage that. Uh, I need a little sunshine in my life. But (laughs) (laughs) Well, this has been a great conversation, Josephine. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. No, thank you for having me. I had a lot of fun. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Inspire Women podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, share this out with your friends and family, and join us in the Inspire Women community on Facebook. I'll catch you next week.